Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, I decided to take a week off and instead uh, introduce you to my other podcast again called Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk. Um, I picked out another one of my favorite episodes, so hopefully you guys like this one. And if you do like it, maybe go over and check out that show as well uh, with Ari and Darcy and myself. Welcome, everybody, for a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. It's Aurelien. I'm here with Darcy and uh, Glenn, and today we'll be discussing how people invest in um, a context where cap rates are so compressed and it's not getting any better. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive into it. Um, Darcy, would you like to get us going? Yeah. Um, this is, you know, when you see, it's a bit discouraging when you see the expense of, the, of buildings or properties going up and up and you think you can never chase them. The only encouraging thing about it is that in a, uh, where the cap rate and I, I recognize some listeners may not know about a cap rate. Maybe we have to back up a bit. Sure. In a compressed cap rate, when the cap rate is lowing, you're actually dividing a smaller number into a bigger number. And that's kind of a good thing for making wealth. If your number, your cap rate, and a cap rate is just a way to average or to compare two disparate properties. You have a fourplex and a tenplex. They're not anything similar. They have different numbers, but if you, divide a constant into their net income, you can get a comparison. So when the constant, the cap rate, and that's the capitalization rate, when that constant gets smaller and smaller, you're dividing a smaller and smaller number into the big number, which is your net income. That means the value is going up. The product of that division is the value of the property. So, you know, cap rates maybe 10 years ago sat around six and a half percent in urban centers, seven percent in the hinterland and tertiary markets, maybe seven and a half, eight. But right now in Vancouver, I'm looking at stuff that is 1.5, 2.3, maybe three is a decent cap rate in South Vancouver and some of these apartment buildings in Marpole. East Vancouver, 3.1, 2.9. That is a tiny number. And if you divide a number like 2.1 into, say, 200,000, 200,000, let's see, a net income of $100,000. You know, you're getting a valuation of about 4.1 million. That's an incredible, uh, you know, and that might, that would be for a 10 unit building, 4.1 million or higher. Um, A bigger cap rate is you're dividing a bigger number into that big number. You're coming up with a lower valuation. So when the cap rates compress, when they keep going down, what it means is that the market is telling you that they still see value in that property and they're willing to take a lesser uh, return. They're gonna pay more money. So instead of paying $2 million for a building with a $200,000 return, they're willing to pay $4.1 million for that building. And when they compare it to other markets, they're good with that. But what it does mean is building is twice as expensive and you're still getting the same return. Nothing has changed in the operations of the building. It's just twice as expensive. That's a lot of difference. And that's what's happening in Toronto, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, London, Vancouver, and to a lesser extent, some of the secondary markets like Ottawa, Calgary, Edmonton, um, you know, even places like St. John, New Brunswick, I'm looking at uh, three plexes and four plexes there for a friend. And they've doubled in the last uh, two years. Why? Well, I got lots of theories on that, but In a compressed cap rate, so what we're talking compressed, where it's falling, falling from six and a half to five to four and a half to three, 
It means the building's more expensive, but here's the real great trick. And I have to say that my nephew, Jason Eidenberg, pointed this out to me when I was like complaining about it. He said, yeah, but any improvement that you make to that building operations has a really big return. Yeah. You reduce your water. So for instance, we have, this is a classic one. You got to keep this in your pocket. This might be gold for anybody listening. Back in the 70s and 60s, when these buildings were built, water wasn't metered. It was free. Water's free. Everyone thought everything was free back in the 60s and 70s. They would put in a two-inch water service from the city because just in case, what if you need more water? They put in a two-inch service because it's two-inch pipe is easier to work with, easier to work with than one inch. Um, you know, so they put in a two-inch service. At some point, the city started putting meters on these and said we should meter buildings. So they put a meter on a two-inch service, and then some point later, they started charging for it. And there's a meter ticking over every cubic meter of water that you get into your building coming through a two-inch service goes to the meter and you pay for it. So at some point, someone in the city said, well, what do we charge for these meters? Well, let's see, a one and a half inch meter, 300 bucks a month. How much for a two inch meter? Uh, 600, right? Do you need a two inch water line coming into your building? Actually, no, you need to see an inch and a half. The difference is $300 per month charge on just the meter. It's completely arbitrary. It's not because you need it. If you step that down to a one and a half inch meter and distribute one, the rest of your buildings at one and a half inch water lines, if you step that down, you'd pay half the metering cost. And here's a trick. Just because they can't tell how much you flush your toilets and how much water goes back into the sewer, they charge you the same amount in as out. They assume zero loss and no water is being carried off site by humans. They just figure zero loss. $300 in, $300 out. However, if you step that down, or sorry, 600 from a two inch, if you step yeah. that down to an inch and a half, it's 300 in, 300 out. You've cut your costs in half. What that means is that $300 that you save each direction times 12 months is $7,200 a year. That's quite a bit of savings. That's and huge. it goes right to your net operating income and apply right that to, to a net. cap rate for us. Okay. So imagine a cap rate, $7,200 a year to a cap rate divided by 0.065. Uh, 7,200 divided by 0.065. You've added uh, $110,000 of building value if you sell the building after doing that one thing at a six and a half cap. However, $7,200 in say Edmonton, where you're looking at a 4.3 cap, you added $309,000 to your building value, tripled it. It's that, it's that important. So anytime you give a rent increase, so you think, uh, I'm not going to give it this year. A $15 rent increase on 30 units or a $50 rent increase on that many units, $1,500 a month. You add that up, that's a lot, especially in a compressed cap. You cannot take rent, you cannot forego rent increases unless you really have a good reason. Your expenses are going up. All these little things, reducing water, any sort of efficiency in a low cap environment is money. It is gold. You have to be on top of this stuff. Um, that's how you extract you know, value out of your building. And it works in both operating cash flow, and it also works in your building value of equity. You have to do it. Any other thoughts on that? Or, sorry, I talked probably for six minutes, but. Well, you covered something have... very important. Yeah. yeah. The, the benefits of uh, low cap rates, actually. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Glenn, what are your thoughts? Well, when you talk about what exactly what he said, um, with the you can do apply the same thing to um, single family, right? It doesn't have the cap rate, 
but when he was talking about the rent, right? So a lot of people are like, I don't want to do the rent increase, right? So uh, just, I just made up some quick numbers, right? So say you had a property that rented for say $1,000 a month. Um, if you did a rent raise of 3%, which is completely reasonable in most markets in the US, at least you're allowed to do that. I know you can't do that in Ontario, but that would only be like a $30 raise. And a lot of people don't do the raise because it's only $30, right? But say that property was cash flowing, we'll say 200 bucks, uh, depending what kind of market you're in. So it could be 500 bucks. Uh, um, but anyway, we're, we're counting mortgage and everything in there. Um, say it was 200 bucks and you went from 200 to 230 a month. If you think about your cash flow percentages, you've done a 15% raise to your cash flow. Just think about that, just with that little, because it all compounds, it's all leveraged. Right. So uh, with all these leverage things, everything gets has a multiplier to it. Right. And that's exactly what Darcy was saying, only with the cap rate. But it does apply to single family as well. Um, yeah. So with me, I went a little bit different direction when I was thinking about this, when you're talking about how to invest in compressed cap rates. Right. And it, a lot of it comes down to rent to value. Um, as the values of these properties go up at these extraordinary percentages, the rent doesn't go up at the same percentages, right? No. So what happens is, you know, the I think I've talked about this a million times, but uh, if you're talking about the 1% rule on a $100,000 house, it should rent for $1,000 a month, right? But a million dollar house doesn't rent for uh, 10,000 a month, right? Uh, it just doesn't happen, right? So, and as you go lower, it goes on the other side. So you get like a $30,000 house, which, you know, what the 1% rule should be 300 bucks a month, but it doesn't, it's the other side of the coin. And it'll rent for like six or seven or $800 a month, depending on where you are and what the market is, right? So um, what happens with, at least with me is how I invest as this keeps getting compressed and these things still appreciate. If you still want to buy, I've changed markets. I've I've moved markets. Uh, I originally, well, I was originally in Ontario and uh, I sold my properties in Ontario and I moved it to Alabama. And then Alabama appreciated a lot and it got uh, the like per cap rate or like the values of the houses went way up. Um, and so I moved to different markets, Missouri, Indianapolis, uh, Ohio, right? Uh, so I was in Dayton and Toledo and it, it, it what I did was I found a place that it would work, right? So that I could still get the numbers I wanted. And what was actually kind of cool is whenever I was selling my properties in Ontario, um, I could sell one and buy four in Alabama. And now that Alabama has exploded, I was selling four of those or selling one of those and I could buy four in Ohio. And so when you think about it, that's a 16 to one from Ontario to uh buying in Ohio, right? And that, it, and you're still using the same amount of money and there's a lot of, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good good bump, right? So anyway, what it's come down to is looking a lot harder and finding the markets that work, right? Um, and the same things happened in Florida. Uh, I've invested there and it's, it's appreciating a lot and it's getting more difficult, but the, the middle of the US is a little bit easier. Um, I think the same thing probably uh, with the, certain markets in on in canada right you can like uh i know darcy you're in saskatchewan am i right there that's right yep. yeah in northern alberta yeah yeah well you go out to you hear people going investing in saskatchewan nova scotia new brunswick and they just they move their money from to markets that they can get the numbers 
uh, that they're looking for, right? Because um, everyone ideally has investing goals. And that's really what I've done is instead of trying to fight this, I've just moved to places that work easier. <laughs> Low hanging fruit, <laughs> less resistance. Um, yeah. What about you, Ari? Yeah, that's interesting. That's also a direction I took my uh, my, my thinking and my, my remarks. Um, yeah, it's pretty obvious that multifamily has really seen a lot of compression in the in the past years. There is um, so there is lots of courses to become a, a syndicator, and um, there is a lot of uh, everybody wants to retire and become <laughs> a, a real estate investor. And um, so multifamily has seen a, a big compression in in cap rates. So has industrial, and um, yeah, so you can use you can leverage information asymmetry to try and find deals and buy um, in contexts that are not um, either you could try to buy those properties off market you try to avoid um, betting wars so as not to pay uh, not to overpay um, and um, like Darcy was saying you know uh, an increase an, an NOI in NOI is going to translate into a He's gonna have a. He's gonna go for, way further uh, with a, a lower cap rate. So that's been covered. But I, for myself, you know, I've expanded a little bit my horizon and I started looking at um, other asset classes. I've been. Um, it's been a, a year already, and uh, when I was working at this foundation, and you know, they they knew about real estate and they they recommended from the get go that I look into a commercial, and uh, so th this is what I've done. Um, so I created this Facebook group. And we have um, also a meetup group that focuses on, on commercial because you can find some, some asset classes um, that have uh, cap rates that are still, uh, still okay. Uh, and the same, like um, Glenn was saying, you know, looking uh, in different areas of the country, different areas in the US. Um, and uh, yeah, so for my for, for myself, I'm starting to look at other asset classes, educating myself, you know, is the first step creating a, a group around myself of people, you know, interested in the same, um, same topics. And um, yeah, so, and, and maybe I'll, I'll pull the trigger at some point with uh, fellow investors and, and um, in one of those um, other asset classes within commercial real estate, not necessarily multifamily, not necessarily industrial. Uh, but yeah, that's, these are my- Well, uh, you were talking about development, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, that compressed cap is probably happening in all sectors. It's moving. Um, when I was thinking when, when Glenn was talking, the, the comparisons or, and I was talking the comparisons, the commonality between our different areas of focus is that um, these cap rates or what we're talking about, compressed cap, it's a ratio. It's between this and that. A cap rate standing on its own is a meaningless number. It's compared to what? It's always compared to what? It's a ratio. So if someone says, what's the cap rate? It's, you know, for what class and compared to what? What are you looking for? Um, it's important to keep that in mind, that it's between two products. It's used to compare this and that. Um, that's an important thing, that you're, it's a comparison. It's a ratio between items. Um, a second one, you know, money summary, money thought here, is what Glenn and Ari and I are all describing is that money doesn't have agency in itself. itself. It doesn't have a mind or a will of its own. But if you pay attention, investors do, and money indicates where it flows to. And you can see money will go to, it's very efficient, 
it will go to where returns are. And a cap rate is one of those way, things that's an indicator of where money is going. What, is, what do people think is valuable? So right now, you know, the rest of the country is seeing what Toronto and Vancouver have said for the last 10 years. Value of real estate is net, you know, it's never been higher. Every year it gets higher, of course, by a little bit of inflation. But I think people are appreciating the value of underlying real estate, the value of land in this country. Um, you might think it's a big, big country, but a lot of it's not serviced and not available. And land that is serviced and available for human habitation and growth and urban stuff uh, activity is actually quite constrained. Um, so the underlying value of land, if you're looking for comparables, and this is my soapbox now, try Zurich, uh, Singapore. If you're talking for a comparable for Vancouver, try Singapore, because Vancouver is an island between mountains and the, and the US border. It's like Singapore, or the island of Hong Kong as a comparison for Vancouver. And if people keep thinking that it's gonna go down, has it gone down in Singapore? Has it gone down in Monaco? Has it gone down in any of these sort of small locations? Um, do I think there's a bubble in Vancouver? Eh, maybe it's superheated. Maybe it's a little bit ahead of the rate. I don't think so at all. I don't think it's going down in Vancouver at all. So the good thing about a compressed cap in some places where our investors are, say in the GTA or in Vancouver, is that their properties are compressing and growing in value. And money will flow, like Glenn has described, into Alabama, into Florida, into Ohio, into other neighborhoods where there's higher cap rates or opportunities. So it could just be a few years behind of these other yep, markets. Yep, it always is. And you'll see them, you'll just watch where the money's flowing too. If you pay attention to CMHC or newspaper articles or get your eye on a national journal, I don't look, I don't pay attention to the US stuff, but the Canadian stuff is indicative. You can see where money is flowing and what it's doing. You know, you can see money is flowing into Bitcoin um, and other products. Um, you know, my focus is on real estate, so I watch carefully where money is flowing in real estate and compare using cap rates. You talk about like Singapore as an island and there's no more room to grow. And that's what forces like you run out of land, right? Yep. And so there, there is a whole bunch of things besides that. Like you mentioned with BC, with the water and the mountains, it blocks it in crate, basically a virtual island. But these mm -hmm. virtual islands, using quotation marks because people yep. can't see us, but uh, they are showing up all over the place. Um, <laughs> and it, it's things that um, sometimes it's neighboring um, counties or uh, mm -hmm. they won't allow building, right? So you look at yeah. the uh, Waterloo region, like Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, and the, the regions around it or the, the counties around it won't allow them to expand anymore. Yeah. So they've created islands. Yeah. Um, if you go over into Milton and areas there, the green belt that this government mm -hmm. green belt that they've, it's forced lines that they can't go any farther. Yeah. And so then it just, we're gonna have to, we're getting denser and we're going to tear down old buildings and build new ones. We're going to go into Waterloo. We're going to tear down a whole road and build a skyscraper because yeah. it's just getting dense. Yeah. And that's part of the thing that's driving, uh, driving prices up and value of land values. You know, we want to save, preserve wetlands. We need agricultural land reserves. In BC here in the Fraser Valley, there's land that's set aside for all of these purposes to restrain water, uh, to maintain habitat, to uh, provide food security. It, you know, it's reluctantly being turned into uh, housing. Uh, there's going to be more densification. With densification, it's going to lower the cap rates. Each piece of land is going to produce more income. Therefore, it's more valuable. 
then you could accept a lower cap rate for what it, for the value that's going on. That's all that's happening. This is just uh, urban ge um, uh, geography 102, 103. <laughs> yeah. That's take good. us home. Take us home, Ari. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. So, yeah, there was a discussion for today: how to invest in compressed cap rates, and um, you know, the good side and the, what's uh, what the, what the future reserves. And um, yeah, looking forward to seeing you all next week. And if you have any question you'd like us to tackle or handle or discuss during uh, the show, feel free to email it to us at advanced r e i t talk. I advance <laughs> REI talk at gmail.com and it will be our pleasure to cover it for you. Thank you. Yeah. Buy real estate and wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.